Welcome back to G5 Football Daily, now part of the Fan Nation network of sites. Excited to be on this new journey. Joe Londrigan here with you as always. If you followed our work over on Athlon Sports and on the uh, social media side of things as well. Um, excited to have you here with us and uh, excited to keep growing. Um, Eric Henry is here with me of Horns 247 and uh, 247 Sports. He joins us quite a bit. Eric, excited to jump into week one, talk a little week zero, and uh, just do what we seemingly always do is just have a great time and talk G5 football. What is going on, Joe? Uh, for those of you who are just getting introduced to this podcast, again, we are you know, now on a new platform, but still same name, easy to find. My entire goal in this podcast is just to make my co-host laugh. If I do that, then it is indeed a successful podcast. And I hope that translates, you know, you get that uh, joy that translates through the mic, through the audio uh, to you guys, the listeners. So, yes, we'll talk a little G5 football and I will hopefully make Joe smile in the process. <laughs> you always make me smile. You never fail. So mission accomplished there. Um, Take that. You- <laughs> Hear that wife. My work wife (laughs) making me happy. No, but speaking of, you know, mission accomplished, uh, if we're going to stick with the the military terminology, um, wanted to start off the show this, uh, this lovely Friday after, uh, well, I guess we're in the morning here for Friday um, with uh, some talk about my latest trip to see Navy um, over in Dublin, Ireland, where they played the Notre Dame fighting Irish. And um, I recapped it with uh, Miss Emily Van Buskirk on the last episode when she was also in town um, to see the game there. And uh, she's obviously a great American athletic conference insider as you know, we both know Eric, she did a uh, podcast uh, under our management at our old outlet, but we, we chatted for a bit um, after the game in a pub in Ireland. um, And that was a great experience, but um, it was really interesting to get to see the exposure of not just American football, but college football and just American sports to um, a lot of people in Ireland who have had no reason to care or understand American college football up to this point. And I'll give you a perfect example. The security staff at Aviva Stadium in Dublin, where the game was, um, great venue, um, great bunch of people work in the venue. Very clearly, most of them did not know who Notre Dame was, what you know what the context of the game was you know anything like that really so we are down in the lower levels of the stadium where the press workroom is where it usually is in most stadiums and there are these roads where the team buses come in and out right and navy's bus pulls in and as is usually the case uh for road games for navy they get off the bus and they're military uniforms the full coat with the hat the the medals pinned to the side and everything very clear like they are obviously dressed to let you know they are part of a military branch and one of the younger irish security guards sees them get off the bus looks at his partner looks at the team and then he slaps his head and he goes that's why they call him navy <laughs> he did not he did not understand up to that point that it was a military school. He just thought gotcha. it was like the color. Like he, he's like, oh, that's why. Like just did not get it. <laughs> it that so is funny. that's 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 hilarious. Um, 
That's actually a really great example. You know, Joan, I'm, I know you had a, a couple stories you want to tell, but mm -hmm. I love hearing things like that because there are moments in which, you know, our American sports culture is so abundant mm -hmm. and then you get other places and it's like, yeah, it, it's kind of like, granted, this was America, Joe, but remember the NFL schedule release and the NBA also did it as well. Um, yeah. I want to say it was the Brooklyn Nets they did as well, where they showed just random people, um, you know, the logos. And it's like, yeah, we're so wrapped up in sports culture. And there's some people who have no idea what the hell is going on. So it's just always kind of funny to to hear uh, examples like that, and especially this one with the Navy. That's that's pretty funny. It's very funny when just other people don't really have the context. And I was actually on uh, a different end of a not a similar situation, but I also didn't have context for something I saw while I was in Europe. I was in a uh, coffee shop with my wife. Um, we were sitting outside on the little patio that they have. And across the street is an apartment building. And out of the apartment building comes a very old woman. And her, uh, from the look of it, also quite old, uh, dachshund, a little wiener dog, right? And the we like as soon as they get out the door, the wiener dog takes off across the street towards the coffee shop, right? And the old lady is freaking out, yelling, screaming, trying to get her dog to come back. And I see this and I start like following the dog thinking I'm going to do a good deed and grab this dog for this lady. Right. The dog goes inside the coffee shop, immediately goes behind the counter and into the kitchen. So I follow it into the kitchen and the guy working there is this younger guy from Italy who I've met before. And he turns around, sees the dog, looks at it and he goes, I thought we talked about this dog. <laughs> And he turns around, reaches into his counter, grabs a big, you know, Italian ass long salami, cuts off a bit, throws it to the dog. The dog eats it up, gets so happy and then runs right back. And I look at him and I was like, does this happen a lot? And he was like, pretty much every day. <laughs> I was like, huh, it's a weirdly wholesome thing. The thing is, I'm just picturing you going after the dog <laughs> only to encounter like that. And then yeah. your face, and that is just, yeah, that's a, that's an, <laughs> yeah, another. Yeah, it was just like, it was like, yeah, he just, uh, sometimes he like a little salami. <laughs> I think we might need a, a, a future episode of just Joe's impressions of different uh, uh, backgrounds and ethnicities over there in Europe, because we've got now what, you're, you're uh, Italian and you're uh, Irish? Uh, the Irish, like, I'm from an Irish family, so I can get away with that. If I go too much further outside of that, we can probably <laughs> kiss the new platform goodbye. But <laughs> that's so, true. I think we should keep it within a certain realm. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stick to impersonating people that sound like my family members. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. <laughs> oh man! But um, I mentioned that it was uh, Friday, September one. It is the anniversary of a couple big things in college football, Eric. And you know one. Can you guess what the other one is? Um, I do know one because you sent it to me in our pre-show notes. September 1. Mm -hmm. Huh. Can I get like a rough time frame anniversary? What are we talking here? Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah okay. I'll give, you, I'll give you two hints. It, um, okay. it was in the 80s. It was in the 80s. And uh, it has to deal with the FCS. Huh. No, I'm I'm – Huh, I'm stumped on that one. What you got? On this day in 1984, Willie Totten of Mississippi Valley State passed for the uh, then one double A record 
536 yards and nine touchdowns in an 86-0 win against Kentucky State. The receiver who was the uh, main beneficiary of his spectacular day won Jerry Rice. Rice, 17 passes for 294 yards and five touchdowns, and uh, he broke his own D1AA record for total yardage and pass receptions with that performance. Joe, quick sidebar. I think that's when, and I don't want to go like too extended, but it's just that story right there is one of the reasons why all, it, it's such a like heart, heartbreak is not the right word, but it just sucks with the portal because you don't get like these legendary stories of like Steve McNair at Alcor- Alcorn State or Jerry Rice at Mississippi Valley or um, Dante Culpepper at UCF. I mean, UCF prior to, you know, that when they were a one double A program, right? Like, you just don't get those anymore. Um, you know, like even when we were growing up, Joe, remember there was always like a player or two or three that was just ripping it up. I mean, of course, the Randy Moss Marshall one, we know Randy Moss was an FBS talent, but we know why he ended up there. But just those legendary stories of guys at smaller schools. Troy, I remember Troy Edwards at Louisiana Tech setting the the then FBS record for like receiving yards in a game. I we just we don't get those anymore because of I mean, A, the way college football recruiting works and 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 you know the portal and, and all that but i just miss those I, I i'll come back to that in a second when we talk about like my week zero um takeaways but just just a quick thought there on that as since you told that story i think steve mcnair's in that category too we talked to um jason reed a while ago you and i did about uh his uh, his book on the history of uh the black quarterback and that was one performance that he um talked about a lot and really stuck with me as i was watching him back in the day he played phenomenally in college and then went on to obviously have a a really solid NFL career with the Titans and Ravens too. But yeah, you know, hopefully we get, we get some more uh, stories like that, just of, you know, quarterbacks coming up from the lower level and really helping elevate these programs to, you know, stories like that. But we mentioned the, the other anniversary that is uh, notorious in college football now. And that is the uh, 2007 September one upset of Appalachian state rather Appalachian State upset Michigan 34 to 32 in Ann Arbor with a block field goal, six seconds left. Eric, I don't know about you, but I really savored that one as someone who A grew up in Ohio and uh B someone who's always, you know, had a fascination with the lower levels of college football. Um, but I really think that was such a huge turning point, not just for App State as they went on to kind of grow from an FCS program, a one double A at the time, obviously, to now being a member of the FBS and and you know, contending for Sunbelt titles year in and year out. But also I think really for the, the you know, just the overall perception of that level of football. You know, I think coaches will tell players when they're recruiting two small schools, you know doesn't matter where you go. The scouts will find you if you're good enough to get to the next level. And I think more players understand that now as a result of that App State win and as well as some of the other stories that we were talking about earlier in the show. Joe, I remember that game vividly um, for a a myriad of reasons. One, you may or may not know this, but uh, that was the first game ever broadcast on the Big Ten Network. So that, I think, was what drew me to watch that game. And I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm hoping you remember the quarterback of that team, uh, the App State team, without looking, right? All right. I, I, the look on your face as Joe has his camera off is no. Um, Armonte Edwards. Yeah. Armonte Edwards went up to, went and had a career with the Carolina Panthers. In other words, like I remember him after that game, uh, 
I went on to then use App State and NCAA just because of him. And I think I've made his ratings like a 95 just because of how, how well he played in that game. But no, I, I remember that one vividly. I remember the call. Um, that's the first time I ever heard of Appalachian State, probably, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, just what a great game. I mean, to have. And I remember that Michigan team, if memory serves me correct, I think they were ranked like fourth or third in the nation. It may have been fifth. Um, and I remember the expectations that, that they had. Uh, going into the year that it was basically over at that point, right? Because that was before the college football playoff. Uh, that was still the BCS era. So a loss to a number, a number five team loss to a one double a team. That was it. You weren't coming back from that. So just a historic game. Absolutely. Remember that one. Like it was yesterday. Yeah. Such a, such a fantastic game. And it was, it was one of those ones where, you know, for all the young people out there, the internet existed, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't what it is today so you know it word kind of made its way to you gradually you know at there were these services back in the day where you could sign up to get text alerts about football scores and uh you know if you or your friend had a cell phone at that point people would tell you like have you seen this app state score and this michigan score i think this tiny school in north carolina no one's heard of is about to knock off the number five team in the country and yeah then that was the point where you had to like find your way to a tv very quickly or make sure that you know you were recording uh sports center that night just so you could always have you know that that memory and i know i had for the longest time i don't know if i saved it in my parents storage locker or something but i had the sports illustrated issue in a weird poetic twist i i had the sports illustrated issue of that game with the app state player. I, I don't remember who exactly it was, but just shushing the crowd, at the big house on my wall until I went to college. You know, that was, that was, that was just such a phenomenal game. Hopefully we get something like that in week one, which brings me to my next question, Eric, who do you think needs to be on upset alert this weekend? And I'm talking either teams that should be wary of getting beat or teams that could potentially walk into, you know, hostile territory and win despite not being the favorite. Yeah, Joe, you asked me about the uh, upset alert, and I'm actually, you know, covering one of those games for 24-7 sports. Texas, number 11, Texas hosting Rice. I want to say that that is, uh, there are seven matchups, I believe, Joe, you might have to check, fact check me on this, but seven or six matchups where you have G5 teams that are facing top 25 teams to start the season. That one intrigues me, but I don't think in the end that Rice will have enough to pull off the victory. Middle Tennessee going to Alabama also intrigued me. Again, not that Nick Saban, I think necessarily, are going to lose. You know, Nick Saban's only lost two games in the month of September or one game in the month of September since his initial year at Alabama. But those games intrigue me for two reasons. One, we all know that Alabama's breaking in a, a new quarterback, right? That could take some time for him to hit the ground running. And quite frankly, you know, I think Nick Saban even said earlier this week that you'll probably see multiple quarterbacks in that game. Middle Tennessee, Nick Vadiato, uh, certainly someone who 
has experience uh, be his first year as the starter, but of course has experience um, getting in for Chase Cunningham a little bit. And defensively, that's a really experienced group. And we all know uh, Rick Stockson's club went to Miami, but again, I'm not comparing the Crimson Tide to the Hurricanes over the past 15 years. Alabama certainly um, will be more prepared than Miami was that day. As far as the Rice and Texas game, uh, Texas, you know, is, A, the challenge for Steve Sarkeesian and company is going to be keeping his team focused, not thinking about next week's game at Alabama. And also, Mike Bloomgren's club, the way they play football, that intellectual brutality, that would be a way that would at least, you know, kind of provide a, a route um, to potentially make the game, you know, interesting for a while. So those are two games I'm keeping my eye on. One that I think has upset, legit upset uh, potential, Joe, is South Alabama at Tulane. Now, listen, we all know Tulane, Michael Pratt, one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. But South Alabama, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, really kind of building something there in Mobile. So that's one that I would say as far as legit upset possibility, really keep my eye on. And, and, and just one more that I think, you know, just a game that I think could be really interesting, Joe, um, is, uh, come on, just had it pulled up here because now my mind went to another one. Uh, Texas State at Baylor. Again, not that I think that Baylor and Dave Aranda necessarily be on upset alert, but I'm really interested to see what G.J. Kinney is going to do there. You know, they've talked about the fact that they have right now the top-rated recruiting class in the Sun Belt, and we all know G.J. Kinney, um, you know, that type of football is going to play. It's going to be, you know, I wanted to air it out. And one last one, just because I feel like this guy has talked enough about wanting attention for his team or himself, I don't know. Quite frankly, seems more like more of a self-promoter at this point. But, you know, hey, uh, old hedge fund Biff. You know, he's, he's time for him to cash the checks that, you know, his mouth has been writing. He's going to play South Carolina State, of course, coming off, a, a, you know, a tough loss to Jackson State. Obviously a much better program uh, to HBCU and the SWAC. But just really intrigued to see what Charlotte comes out with because Biff has been talking seemingly since he got the job, uh, wanting respect and bashing writers' heads and all that other crap he talks about. So let, let's see if he opens his tenure with a win. I don't know if I would say that, uh, obviously, Jackson State's had the media exposure the last couple of years, but you, to go back to their most recent matchups with South Carolina State, Jackson State got the better of them this most recent time, obviously, but a couple times South Carolina State uh, pulled out some some interesting wins. Um, but... I very much agree with the South Alabama Tulane assessment. Um, what we saw, or what we've seen rather, out of the Jaguars the last couple of years has been really impressive. Uh, Kane Womack very much has that program going in the right direction. Um, I think this is going to be the last season we see Carter Bradley at uh, the helm of that offense. Um, we've seen him do some very good things at the G5 level, both at South Alabama and at his prior stop with the Toledo Rockets. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, Yam Banks, such a good defensive back. I think he has pro potential. So keep an eye on those two guys as they uh, prepare to face this Tulane team that obviously accomplished um, every goal they set out to accomplish last year and begin this season as the number 24 team in the country. They begin this game as seven-point favorites. Um, other ones that were on my list, um, we just talked to our good buddy Jared Kalmus about it last week, but this Houston UTSA matchup, I think, is going to be electric. Um, we saw those, you know, fascinating, you know, Houston Oilers inspired uniforms that Houston released today. Uh, we covered Houston for a long time when they were a member of the American Athletic Conference. They're, of course, now part of the Big 12. But the fact that they are once again facing a really good UTSA team with uh, the Roadrunners' favorites by two points as of 
uh, Thursday evening, Friday morning. So keep an eye on that one. It's going to definitely be worth the uh, price of admission. If you're going to the game and uh, if you're not going to the game, watch it on TV, then it'll be absolutely worth the price of free. Any other ones? I think, um, you know, this, uh, I, I think the big one, uh, let me see if there's another one here that, um, is not AAC people are gonna, people are gonna get mad at me, but I think, I think Miami, Ohio can give Miami a run. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I think Miami's going to have to play better than they think they are. The hurricanes that is, that can get confusing. Um, but Miami, Ohio, the Red Ox, very physical team. So I think they're going to give them some trouble. I think Miami will still win, but I think it's going to be closer than than people think. Joe, did you see the quote about the real Miami? <laughs> I did. I did. And I appreciated it. I don't I don't agree with it, but I don't think the quote was meant to be taken seriously. Let's I, let's be honest. Not neither do I, but I like you. I, I appreciate the quote. And uh I mean, listen, I I did spend the past five years working in Miami. I would be willing to bet without having looked this up that Miami of Ohio is probably an older town than Miami, Florida, just knowing the history of Florida as a Florida native. I'd be willing to bet that. So they could kind of, and, and, and I'd be willing to bet that the university is old, was older. So just mm-hmm. saying. Here's a little geography trivia for you, I guess. Uh, Miami is called Miami because of Native American ties, obviously. And the Miami Valley covers a big part of uh, Southern Ohio and Southern Indiana. So there you go. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, as someone who's spent a lot of time in Oxford, Ohio and on Miami University's campus, I don't even think they like if you say, hey, I'm going to Miami, then they also assume Florida. You know what I mean? Like they don't even have that own rep within their own clientele. Like it's, uh, you know, but I appreciate anybody trying to get their team as hyped as they can by whatever means necessary at this point. No doubt. All right, Eric, we're moving into week one. We just completed week zero. Obviously we didn't have a full schedule last week, but if there's anything from week zero that you think was the one big thing that G five fans in general should take away from what we saw in week zero, what do you think that was? Oh man, you are limiting me to one. Okay. If I have to take one thing from week zero. If there's more, by all means. Well, it's our show. Me, we can do whatever we want. I, I, I'll give you, I mean, how about this? Since, you know, I, I may have uh, a few things. I think you touch on these for uh, your piece in terms of the three things that caught your eye in the, the G5 weekend. How about UMass, man? That program has struggled for a long time. Fun fact, Joe, I was driving from Florida back to Austin. I had to pick up my car. I did make the stop and watch the FIU-Louisiana Tech game in Ruston. And the next morning, as I was driving back from Ruston, I passed the UMass equipment uh, truck. Um, or the, I should say the semi, because anyone who's seen those equipment semis knows they're, they're not trucks, they're semis. Uh, but I was like, why the hell is the UMass? And I was like, oh. Because he came for NM State. That's why. And they were taking I-20. But nevertheless, Joe, I mean, that program, ever since they've made the jump from FCS to FBS, they have struggled. I want to say the best season they had was 4-8. and eight. Um, 
the Walt Bell tenure, and I'm a big fan of Walt Bell. I think he's a really genius, you know, mind as an offensive coordinator. Young guy wanted to take his shot at at a at a head coaching job. I want to see he was 33 or 34. He took the job, former Florida State offensive coordinator. Only won two games there before he ended up having to resign. It, it just was tough sledding. So for them to travel cross country to New Mexico State, Jerry Kills got that program going the right direction. Diego Pavia, Star Thomas, you know, a lot of a lot a lot of talent on that team. And to get a decisive win, not just a, a fluky win, but a 41-30 win. Again, NM State, if you've never been to Las Cruces, it is not the easiest place to get to. You got to fly into El Paso. Um, I don't I don't know if this is for teams. I don't know if there's a strip closer. Um, but as far as you know, general audience, you gotta fly to El Paso and drive over to Las Cruces to get that win. I mean, Joe, again, I didn't crunch the numbers to look at this ahead of time before I made this point, but I'd be willing to bet that might be maybe their they can't have more than four or five FBS wins over the past half decade. So to go and beat a really good NM State team, that's one. Um, the other one, I, the Louisiana Tech FIU game definitely caught my attention. I think a lot of people, you know, really intrigued to see what Mike McIntyre is going to do in year two there. I think some people were freaked out by the four passing yards that Grayson James had. Obviously not a great day. I mean, you know, no quarterback wants to go down his only passing for four yards, negative two in the second half. But again, I mentioned I was at that game. I watched that entire game from the press box, uh, you know, right at, uh, up top 50 yard line. Um, it's going to be really intriguing to see a Louisiana Tech's defense. Is that something that's sustainable, right? Because they did struggle in the early going against the run. And I think you and I know from our, our previous time covering conference, USA from the outlet, if La Tech can carry consistent defense, if you got a guy like Hank Bachmeyer, a quarterback, he's eventually going to get it going and make plays and smoke Harris, Joe, Smoke Harris has looked like the top player on the field. And if you have that kind of talent, you know, coupled with the defense, that's really intriguing to see what La Tech may be able to do in this version of Conference USA. But for FIU, I'm just intrigued because if their receivers are going to struggle to create separation as they did um, throughout, you know, uh, the entirety of that game, missing a Tyrese Chambers who's now at Maryland, missing a Rivaldo Fairweather who's now at Auburn, that could be really interesting to keep an eye on as Mike McIntyre kind of gets that rebuild in year two. So those are two things that, you know, really caught my attention, both from the FIU side, but also from the La Tech side. Because again, if, if that if that defensive performance was an aberration, okay, it's one thing. But if that can be consistent, Joe, um, take away the 168 yards or 100, uh, gosh, I think maybe 138 that Shamari Lawrence had. He, he broke a 68-yard TD run in the first drive of the game and then had like a 16 yard scamper after that you take those two out it was something like 13 carries for 50 something yards which still isn't great but not you know back breaking so if Sonny Cumbie has a consistent defense in Rustin look out I want to echo a lot of the same uh feelings about UMass in particular and quarterback Taysen Fomachan really incredible athlete, one of the better athletes on the field. And, you know, I don't want to take a lot away from Diego Pavia because frankly, his thing has always been like effort. He's always been like the effort guy. He's never been the most talented or the most accurate guy, but you know, with everything that he did in that game, three touchdowns, uh, through four, uh, 248 yards, uh, also ran around a little bit. Um, he gave it everything he had. Right. But, when UMass's offense was on the field, it was just very clear to me that Taysen Fomachan was the best athlete on the field, right? And that's not necessarily a huge surprise, you know, when you look at his measurements. He's 6'4", 215. He's a big, he's a bigger dude, 
Um, and you know, I know we're in the age of, you know, quarterbacks can come in all shapes and sizes, but it never hurts to have someone of that size be, you know, your primary ball carrier. So I'm definitely watching to see what he does with UMass already matching their highest win total since 2019. And here's some more trivia for you. They have not won more than four games since they moved up to the FBS ranks in 2012. I don't want to reiterate too much of what I said last week with Emily and talking about Navy, but they've got to get some stuff figured out. Um, Something that happened a couple of times under Ken Niematalolo in the later years of his time as the head coach of that program was just this team not looking ready to play defensively at the start of the season that just not playing anywhere near the level of physicality that you need to beat the teams that Navy plays. And that showed very much on a Saturday when they played Notre Dame and granted Notre Dame is a very good team. Obviously they are, you know, contending for a national championship in, in, you know, some circles, but they've still got to play better and they've still got to, you know, not get beaten off the ball when they're on offense. That was, that was the thing that killed me as a former O-line guy, you know, the snap count, you should be getting off the ball before the defensive line does. And they weren't doing that on Saturday for a lot of that game. Uh, the last thing I was going to say is just, I, I, I need to keep an eye. We all need to keep an eye on the health of uh, Curtis Rourke moving forward. He came out of that loss last week to San Diego state. Um, you know, he, I, he's such a huge part of what their potential actually is. He's so good, likely going to go up to uh, up to Canada where his brother was a, a stud for a little bit there. Now he's uh, on the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad, but um, they need him. And I, you know, I think uh, Tim Alpin said that he would be ready to go this week. I would argue, let him, you know, get out there, flex the muscles a little bit, get warm, make sure that he can still do it, but don't leave him in longer than he needs to be against Long Island. You know, you you theoretically should have that game in the bag playing an FCS team at home. Just get him out there. Make sure his confidence is up. Take him out because if you don't have him, you're not contending for a MAC title, in my opinion. All great points, Joe. I, I just was going to chime in and ask you about Navy. Did that feel like to you? Because I know exactly what you're saying, right, in terms of the snap count. If you know when the ball's being snapped, you should not be being beat off the line. That's 100% true. I just want to ask you this. Did it feel like, because I know this is a new version of Navy and offensively, you know, they're doing some, some things differently. Did it feel to you like that was a byproduct of just sheer Notre Dame's talent? That's like, okay, you know, we, we can get a quick read on what they're doing here and, and, and jump the count. Or did it possibly look more like guys were getting adjusted to playing in a new scheme with Navy? You know, I think the scheme had very little to do with it. Um, Navy threw one time in the first quarter, and that resulted in two Navy receivers running into each other while they were both trying to catch the ball, and the ball fell incomplete. Um, and then I, I don't think they threw again until late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, something like that. They only threw seven times the game, seven times in the game. And they only threw once in the first half. So I don't think scheme had very much to do with it other than, you know, a couple of points there in which by that point it was already too late. Um, as far as the score goes, it looked like the same scheme that they've always run. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to overreact to that too much. It was the first game. Um, and again, against a team like Notre Dame, but also, you know, there were one or two points where, 
you know, Navy collided with the, those Notre Dame linebackers um, that are very good and as well as the running backs. And it showed that they were outmatched in terms of size, but that doesn't excuse the getting off the ball thing. Like it looked like they were playing in slow motion at certain points. I think, let me make this clear. I thought Notre Dame was going to win one way or another. I was not concerned about that. That being said, it should not have been a 39 point loss for Navy. Absolutely not. Okay. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's super interesting that you, you put it that way. Again, I have not even had a chance to watch that ball game in its entirety. I've seen probably a quarter of it, but no, that's super interesting. Joe, before we go, I did want to run one thing by you that wasn't on our pre-show agenda, but just having made the trip to Rust, Louisiana, and let me give you some time to think about this so you know what question I'm going to run at you. Joe, what's the last town? It doesn't have to be a college town. Um, preferably stateside, <laughs> but what's the last town that just you weren't expecting much from, but it really was like, huh, this, this could be a charming town. Now, if you have a college town in mind, that'd be great for the purpose of this show, but just last town in general. So I'll give you some time to think about as I, as I give you my, uh, my reason here for Rustin, you know, I, I had briefly been through Rustin once before, but this past week was my first trip and it was the last CUSA town on the old conference USA, you know, the, the incarnation, uh, pre 2022. So the 2021, when those, you know, the marshals and, and they left, it was the last one on that list that I had to make it to. And I was not expecting much. I won't lie. Um, I was like, all right, it's a small town in Louisiana. You know, it's not Shreveport. It's, it's smaller than that, right? Like how much can it be? But Joe, I could completely see why if I were between the ages of 17 and 25, specifically, you know, going to college, why I would want to live in a Rustin. So it, it, you may not know. So it's right next to Grambling. Like if you're coming in um, on I, uh, I-20, it's the Grambling exit. And then right next to it is Rustin. So we got multiple college vibes, right? That's one cell. B, B, I'm just, we're talking strictly as a student. I'm not talking as an athlete here. Anyone who's been to Tallahassee, if you know the vibes that you get from having Florida State on one side of the railroad tracks and Florida A&M on the other side of the railroad tracks, I'm just telling you right now, the best house parties. And don't think, just for one second, you had an HBCU that we, we got people who are not partying at each other's schools. That's what made it so great, right? I cannot tell you the amount of times people from, from Florida State going to the FAMU parties and vice versa. I would imagine, I don't know, because I, I, I obviously never went to any of those schools, but I imagine there's got to be some of those vibes between Grambling and La Tech. And then when you just get into Ruston, it is the epitome, Joe, of a college town. Everything is Louisiana Tech. I, I somehow managed to find the Louisiana, the, the, the home team's uh, hotel, like I did when I covered the FIU Charlotte game, and I was staying at the La Tech hotels. Of course, uh, I, I saw all the players, saw Sonny Cumbie and, and you know some of the Louisiana Tech people at that hotel. But the town, you can tell. I would be really curious, Joe, to see what it's like when that place is hopping in a sellout because it was probably about half full. I'm curious what the town is like when La Tech is going, when it was the 9-10 win, Skip Holtz, Louisiana Tech days, because that just seems like it would be a great environment. Um, cannot say enough things. Like it, it was just for the less than 24 hours I was there. Really, really cool college town vibes. So now I'm giving you some time to think uh, what you got. Yeah, I got a couple. Um, this one 
is kind of right on the line because it is technically a city. It's a state capital even. But I went to Boise for the last time or for the first time. Not the last time. Definitely not the last time. But for the first time um, last year, I believe. And my goodness, what a fun town. Incredible music scene. Great food. You know, just way more culturally diverse city than I thought. I, I kind of thought it was just this little, you know, sleepy mountain town. And, you know, come to my surprise, there is this huge um, Spanish soccer culture there. That's really fun. Um, yeah. Th- so if anyone's interested in this, Google it. I, th- I think there's also kind of a documentary about it on ESPN plus somewhere. I don't remember the name of it, which I feel bad because my really good friend made it. Um, but there were a lot of immigrants from the Basque region of Spain that came to Idaho sometime in the 20th century, like mid 20th century, a, a while ago, um, I think post-World War II. Um, but they came to Idaho because it's very similar in terms of terrain. And they were like, we can work with this farmland. So there's a lot of Spanish immigrants in Idaho or like, you know, people of Spanish descent in Idaho. It's, but yeah, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, you know, I went there for an old job where I worked in the music industry and there was just so many fun little like punk venues and metal bars. And we went to this like underground hip hop thing at a, at a, like an arcade yeah, Boise, Boise's awesome. If you have a chance to go, you know, to a Boise State game or whatever, get a late flight out on Sunday night or like early Monday morning and just hang out in Boise for like a day. You owe it to yourself, especially if you like music. The other one, um, Colorado Springs, man. It, again, people can disagree with me. There is definitely things that people don't like about Colorado Springs, and I'm not going to argue with it, but. I lived in Colorado Springs for a little bit and Tejon Street in Colorado Springs. It gets crazy. It's a lot of fun. Um, in particular, there is, and you know me, Eric, I'm not this guy, but there is a country western bar called Cowboys that has incredibly reasonable drink specials on Friday nights. Um, so, you know, I think it's like eight bucks all you can drink domestics, something like that. So you, if that's what I'm paying to, to drink that much, I'll, I'll wear a cowboy hat and sing with Garth Brooks. I don't care at that point, but yeah, Colorado Springs on the right day and the right section of the city is a lot of fun. If you got some uh, time off from the air force Academy, you're in a good place. Love it. I mean, listen, if that's what it takes to get, you know, some, some cheap beer and, and some good vibes, I'll throw on a cowboy hat too. You know, we can make that happen. I mean, granted I live in Texas, so I guess the, the, you know, probability of me doing that in the near future is probably more than, than it is you, but, uh, no, I love, I love, love both those things. Just wanted to run that, run that one by you real quick before you close this one up. Cause again, I just was, was, yeah, you know, impressed. I could totally see again, you know, being a 17, 18 year old and you juxtapose that with my college experience going to UCF, which is what the third biggest school in the nation, 65, 70,000 kids. Mm-hmm. I could totally see it being just, you know, the whole entire opposite of that, just small town, house party like that that seems like it'd be a good time i forgot about this one i accidentally last football season i accidentally went to montana's homecoming and that was a blast that the city it's not a big city but the just streets were flooded with people and it was it was a crazy time it was a crazy crazy time um but yeah so with that we'll wrap up this episode of g5 football daily come to uh, si.com slash college football slash group five 
for all your, we'll, we'll figure out the URL. We'll figure it out. But um, if you already subscribe to this podcast, you can still find it in the same place that it's always been. Subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Go ahead and leave a review as well and help us grow this thing as the season progresses. And who knows, maybe by uh, next football season, we'll be able to do even more cool stuff and travel to more awesome places to bring G5 football the coverage that it deserves. Uh, once again, I'm Joe Londrigan on social media. I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Today, joining me was Eric Henry of 247 Sports and Horns 247. He is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And if you want to follow along with updates from the show, or just you know see some clips of some of the goofy things that we talk about, you can follow at G5 Football Daily on Instagram and TikTok. Happy football watching, everybody. Happy week one. We'll talk to you next week.